prayer, which is third and fourth Thursdays of each month. Watch the bulletin. It'll usually give you the exact night. I typically go to the location on Carmel Mountain Road at the at Penasquitas Lutheran Church. There's also one in the, in the Resurrection Church behind the Ford dealer in Poway. And these are volunteer opportunities to fit around your schedule. During the day, you can go and help prepare food. Or you can go at 5 o'clock and help worship and then pray over people and take food to their cars. These are folks who have a lot of things that are disappointing in their life, coming in to get free food. And many of them will come in for prayer. And it's in that prayer room that I learned first to see how to pray for the sick. And I saw my first miracles in those prayer rooms. And I learned what prophecy was from someone from this church who moved to Australia but who taught me that you could ask God to give people a word or a message and that if you learn to listen and you learn to speak it, he would give it. And I've certainly found that to be true in my life. Uh, I was here two months ago giving you a testimony of an eight-year-old girl who came in with her mother for food. And she'd had a migraine for 48 hours, the longest ever. And mom was just sick about it. She'd taken her to the doctor. She was missing school. She was in a great deal of pain. You could see it. And Donnet and I prayed for her, and it immediately lifted off of her. The little girl got all bubbly and all excited. said, Mommy, it's gone, it's gone. It felt like it lifted straight up to heaven, it's gone. And her mom cried, and we all hugged, and we said, You know, God is great. She said, I've never seen anything like that before. I said, You just don't know where to look. So the next food and prayer, I went back, and I went in to say hi to the volunteers that were serving the food, and there they were. This time they were serving food. And the woman pulled me over and she said, hey, pastor, sometimes they think I'm a pastor, I just go with it. She says, I just want to tell you that uh, when we left that day that my daughter got healed, I asked her in the parking lot, honey, is it really all gone completely? You feel good? You weren't just saying that to be nice to the pastor, were you? And she said, no, mom, it's really gone. It felt like somebody grabbed it and just pulled it out of my head. And she said, then we're going back to that church next month, and we're going to volunteer. And I said, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. That you, you shine God's light into the world, and the world sees you, and they see God, and they want that. So we're all commissioned to go out with those types of gifts. And the way to learn it is to come to an event like this. It's only three miles away for an hour and a half on a Thursday night once a month. If you don't think these things really happen, come and see. If you want to learn how they happen, come and see. So this month, it was a short night. It was an early week uh, because of the schedule with the church facility. And, and I was there, and I was the only one in the prayer room. And a lady who was waiting for food came in, and she said, you know, I like to come here because I've been healed before, but I also need food. I, we're, we're just in a bad situation. And she told me that she'd been in a cast for two months with her hand up against her chest. And she says, this is as much as I can raise my hand. And I want to be able to raise my hand over my head because I can't do anything at home. So I said, you know, I've seen that healed before. Let's just pray for that. So I put my hand on her shoulder and I just prayed that God would come as he promised in Mark 16. And those who have faith can lay their hands on the sick and the sick will recover. And so we prayed and maybe, maybe it went up about this much higher. And I said, now listen. Sometimes it doesn't always work on the first prayer, but I have faith for this. I've seen it a number of times. Can I pray again? She said, sure. And I said, you know, Jesus once prayed for a man who was blind. And he said, how do you see? And the man said, I see men as trees. So Jesus prayed again. Just let me pray again. So I prayed again. And this time her hand was up to about her ear, but it was still bent. 
And she was like, wow, that was great. Praise the Lord. I said, we're not done. I said, it may take three prayers, but we're going to get that hand praising the Lord. And I just declared, Lord, let her raise her hand up and declare your name. Let her get that straight up in the air and just call all the muscles into alignment with the the holiness of God. And we prayed that she could just reach her hand up to God and give him thanks. And that arm went straight up. And she had complete mobility. And she praised God and she thanked God. And I can tell you that may not seem like, you know, we've seen people healed of cancer. Yeah, we've seen the big ones too. But for her, that was a miracle. So I would just encourage you to come out on a Thursday night and give just an hour and a half. If you're wanting to see things like this, if you've ever wondered whether you can be part of it, you can. Thank you, Les. To tie this in very, very easily. If you're here today for the first time, my name is John. I'm the senior pastor here at the Gathering Place Church. I love this church. Love the people here. And we're really, thank you. And we're really glad that you're here. If you're looking for a home church that loves God, loves one another, and is about changing the world, you have found it. So welcome. So that shot right there, you could say was the winning shot of the Cleveland Cavaliers taking down the um, history-making uh, warriors. The Warriors had won, uh, had scored more, had won more games than any team in NBA history. And so the Cavaliers came in as underdogs, and uh, they were down three games to one in the finals, best of seven. No team, uh, 34 to 0. That's how many teams had ever come back from a three to one deficit. In NBA history, zero. 34 teams had been down three to one, and none of them had overcome it. And so the Cavaliers did it. And so you see here, no, let's go back to LeBron James, please. So here you see LeBron James, who's the leader of the team, and that crowd behind him. Now, mind you, that Cleveland only has 386,000 people in the city. 1.3 million people showed up for the parade. And you see them, uh, where's this, look at this, I'm going to see if I can use this little guy here. Is this on? Okay. Now go back, go, go back to, the, I'll, I'll tell you when to move the slide. All right, you see, up. look at this. You see these people here? All along this building here, and along these buildings here, and then go to the next slide. And then this is the parking garage. You can see the cars here, up here on top of the... Now watch this next one. When things are full, what you do is you come out of the parking garage and you literally straddle the... That's just to get a view. I don't know what this guy's doing, but... (laughs) I do not know what he was doing. Why, why, Why was this so important? It wasn't just that they won the NBA Finals, but it was that Cleveland had not won a, a national title uh, or a final title in 52 years. So they called it the curse on the city. The curse over that city has been broken. And LeBron's legacy would have been, uh, he wouldn't have recovered from it. Been in the final six times, only won twice. If you understand sports, um, that's... That's going to leave you a very negative legacy. 
This was unbelievable. If you bet on Cleveland, you just became a very rich person. Now, that was unbelievably amazing. But Paul says something to us that puts this into perspective. He says that athletes run to win a perishable crown. All the fanfare, LeBron kissing the trophy, 1.3 million people running into the streets, Nike signing new contracts with these guys, the commercials, the fame, the fortune is all going to go away. In fact, you think about things like the Super Bowl and who won the Super Bowl five years ago. I mean, you probably have to Google it to find it out. But in the moment, you think, this is life itself. And the athletes, of course, think they are like on top of the world. But you get stories like Johnny Manziel, you know, Heisman Trophy winner, top of the world. And now he's addicted to drugs. And his own dad writes an article and says, my son's addicted. I hope he doesn't die before he gets clean. That's all I can say. This life is so temporary. The Apostle Paul says we, are, we, we can run in this life for crowns that perish. Yet we are to run for a crown that will never perish. We are to run our race and we will receive a crown if we run our race from Jesus Christ himself. Not the commissioner of the NBA, but Jesus Christ himself is going to place a crown on our heads and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that lasts for eternity. And do you know that the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that right now, I did all this for you, David, because he was talking smack about Cleveland, so I just had to do this for you. Did you know that right now, the book of Hebrews says There is a cloud of witnesses standing on the parking lot garage roofs of heaven watching you and I right now. And the ball is in our hands. And it's called the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you see? What's like the main force behind a team like Cleveland? that enabled them to accomplish this unbelievable feat? What was the emotion? What was the force? What was behind it all? Good guess, teamwork, because you saw the title of my sermon. (laughs) Behind the team, what is it? Passion. Who said that? Woo! How? You're 80 and going strong, brother. Look at that. 80 years old. Passion. I love it. Passion. And steroids, and according to some, the NBA uh, conspiracy, which is just foolishness. It's passion. What we see with Paul in Acts chapter 18 is he's not running for a perishable crown or for a worldly crowd to cheer him on. He is running for an eternal crown and the cheers of heaven because he's not out to win a game. He's out to win souls. And I want to say to you and I today that your primary goal, passion, will of God in your life is not 
your job. It's not your family. It's not entertainment. It is the salvation of every soul on this planet. Before the curtain drops, the finals are over, and there's eternity. And souls will spend eternity without God or eternity with God through Jesus Christ. And Paul understood this because Paul was a murderer of Christians. This is a guy who vehemently did not believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, but he was a deceiver and his people were deceiving people, moving them out of Judaism. And so he got authority from the officials to go after these, these um, heretics. And he would march into churches like this, put them in chains, take them to prison, and they'd be fed to the lines, they'd be tortured. It says that he forced them to blaspheme the name of Christ. So when the resurrected Jesus shows up face to face with Paul and says, you got it wrong, brother. Paul realizes something we'll see in this passage, that he had unbelievable passion, unbelievable zeal. But he did not have the knowledge. He wasn't accurate with his passion. We see this all the time in life. We see people who are incredibly passionate and zealous for their hobby horse, their their political viewpoint, or their social issue that they're so passionate about, or maybe their 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 talent they think they have how many have ever watched american idol sometimes your passion and your skill set don't line up at all and this was paul's situation paul was so zealous he had a passion for god and he thought he was doing god's will if we take an extreme example like isis does they think they are doing allah's will by murdering all infidels if they do not turn to islam It is zeal without knowledge. It's the exact same thing Paul was doing. So I want to say to everybody here and everybody listening online, anybody who's listening to my voice, nobody is too far from God to be able to meet Jesus Christ, be saved, and spend eternity in heaven. Nobody. And the Apostle Paul proves it. And by the way, so do you. God can reach anybody. Now, in this passage, we see Paul, I might read some of it sometime during the sermon, but I'm just going to keep on preaching because Paul is having a hard time penetrating the Jewish community. They keep rejecting him. He met, he, he met some of them, led some of them to Christ, but he kept running, running into their religious obstinance. But I want to say this. The Bible says the gospel is is the power of God to everyone who believes. First the Jews, then the Gentiles. All the, all the people that got saved in the first sermon that Peter preached, 3,000, they were all Jews. Millions of Jews have come to Christ since the gospel began being preached. So you run into somebody who is Jewish. Don't think, oh gosh, this is hopeless. Don't think that. The gospel message is the power of God to everyone 
who believes. In the last chapter, Paul was just having a conversation with somebody in Philippi, and this lady named Lydia was over here, and she just overheard Paul talking to somebody about Jesus, and it says the Lord opened her heart to believe. And that was the beginning of the Philippian church. You don't don't know who's going to believe and who's not going to believe. In this passage, which we will read eventually, I think, Jesus said, to Paul, I have many people in this city. This was after the Jews rejected him. He said, I have many people in this city. Jesus knows who's going to come to him and who isn't going to come to him. That's none of our business. Our business is to be gateways that the gospel message comes through. Our piano teacher for my family is Jewish. Now, he... Has, he, he, he's a world-renowned pianist. He's on all over the world, concerts with symphonies and all that. Uh, he has like 45 students per week, round the clock. Ours is the only home he comes to because it's the only way it would work out. <laughs> so he's been coming to our home now for a matter of, uh, I don't know how, maybe about a year. And he gives piano lessons to my children. And he, he, he just couldn't figure us out. He, he would say to me, every time he would come, he goes, I just don't understand your family. He said, you guys are just different. And because he knows I'm a pastor, and he's very Jewish, and his children are learning the Torah, and they go to temple, and they do the bat mitzvahs and the bar mitzvahs and the whole thing. I mean, they're thick, right? I mean, I'm cooking, I'm cooking pancakes for him. He brings his kids over because he's divorced, and so he gets the kids on a weekend so can I bring my kids? Absolutely. I'm cooking pancakes and stuff, but they can't eat bacon. So I asked them, can we do turkey bacon? Can we, like, broaden the fence a little bit? I mean, where do you draw the line? So we're having this debate on whether it can be bacon, turkey bacon, because there's a lot of rules, right? And uh, so I'm making a breakfast, and he's just being endeared to our family, and he would constantly comment on how much he loves our family. And I've shared the gospel with him two or three or four times, and it's just like, you know, I mean, it's thick, a thick wall there, but... God's messing with them. And so I know that just loving on him is the bridge that, has, that gives him the opportunity to come to know his Messiah, Jesus, through our family. And so, even though at this point, well, not now, but about 24 hours ago, I was thinking to myself, I've shared the gospel with him two or three or four times. He's just kind of resistant to it, and he's entrenched in his religion. And though we get into these conversations, they're kind of circular, you know? And yet at the same time, he's like, your family's religious, but you guys are so fun. I, don't, I can't connect your fun and, and life-giving and joyous household, and yet you're religious. And uh, so I try to tell him the difference between religion and relationship with the living God and all that. Anyway, so I'm thinking, you know, my influence has kind of come pretty much to an end. And then yesterday, I go to my daughter's uh, dance recital at the Poway Performing Arts Theater. The place holds about 800, because I've done seminars there, parenting forums there, so I know it holds about 800. The whole bottom floor is filled, which is about uh, 700. The balcony that I'm in has about 100 people, so it's almost capacity. And they are assigned seating. You have to go to the dance studio in Ramona, buy the ticket, and then a month later... You go to the performing arts, and the usher shows you your seat, and you're there. So you got about 700 people there. I come walking in to my seat, and there's Mr. Hawk, our piano teacher. I said, what's going on? He goes, my daughter's in this dance, dance uh, recital. Seriously. 
And my seat was right next to him. I thought, God is so after him. That's crazy. It makes me want to pray for him every single day. I sat down and his mom, who's like 80, said, my son just loves you in your family. See, God is just, God, God loves every single human being, every individual person on the planet. Paul knows this. That's why Paul is so passionate. Look at, look at uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 1. Woo! Yeah, here we go. I'm in the Bible. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Now, you can just read over that and think, yeah, okay, so we went from one city to the next. Verse 1. All right. Let's, let's, look, let's, look, at, let's look at the map that, where, where Paul went. So I looked this up, and if you go from... If you go from Jerusalem, which is where he was at, where's that? Right up here? Uh, oh, down here. And then he went up there to Antioch. And he, look, he's not in an airplane. An airplane from here over to Corinth would be about two hours. It's about 1,200 miles. But they don't have airplanes in the first century. So he's walking or he's on a donkey and he's got to go up through here. And you found the derby. This is where he got stoned to death and thrown outside. And he decided to go back in after he was raised from the dead. Then he goes over here to, to uh, Lycia. And then he comes up to here. And this is all Galatians. This is where the church is in Galatia, where he's writing letters to the Galatian church in the New Testament. The book of Galatians is to the Galatia. And he comes up here. And, he go, and then he comes all the way over here. And he's coming up here to Ephesus. That's where the book of Ephesus comes from. His letter written to the Ephesians. And this is Asia where um, you're going to South Asia. Uh, Stephanie, and then he's coming up here, and he goes over here's Philippi. This is where he meets the uh, Lydia, and the Philippian church is born, and the Thessalonia. Here's the, the book of Thessalonians comes from, and he comes down here to uh, Corinth. That's the book of Corinthians here, the Corinthian church. And then he comes all the way back up here, and he comes all the way back down here, and he comes all the way back over here, and he all okay. So that would take months and months to walk that or do it on a donkey. What the heck is he doing? He cares so much about every soul in the world. They have got to hear about the salvation through Jesus Christ. To the point where not only would he take this journey three times, but he was whipped, beaten, forsaken, thrown out of the boat to drown, imprisoned, where all the letters came from, he would just write letters to the churches that he cared so much about. Where did that passion come from? That's, that's a lot bigger than an NBA title, don't you think? Wouldn't you agree? And yet that same passion is what you and I are supposed to have pumping through our spiritual arteries for every soul you work with, every soul in your family, every soul in your neighborhood. What happens to us, though? We get so inundated with the cares of this life that we totally lose the whole purpose of our lives as followers of Jesus. Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make your business prosper. Come follow me and I'll fix your marriage. Come follow me and we're going to have a wild ride. It's just going to be amazing. Come follow me. You're going to have Holy Spirit encounters. We're going to fall on the floor and you're going to speak in tongues. It's just going to be amazing. It's just going to be amazing. Is that what he said? What did he say? Come follow me and... 
See, we're not going to win any NBA titles with that kind of pathetic, passionless. Let's try it again. Come follow me and... Every person counts. How would you like not to not be saved? I thank God for the guy who harassed me until I finally came to church. I owe my salvation to him. He just wouldn't quit. Now, I know some of you are very intimidated about sharing your faith. Don't be. This is very interesting. Today, knowing I was going to be preaching this chapter, which we've preached chapter or verse one so far, um, I, I knew that I was in prayer about this and seeing Paul's passion and how he had broken out of his religious paradigm and bam, and now he sees the light. He knows who Jesus is. He believes in heaven and hell. He knows every soul that's in jeopardy of their eternal destiny. And he, with every fiber of his being, spent the whole rest of his life using every opportunity he could to tell everybody he could about Christ so they could have the chance to be saved. That's what his whole life was about. As I was studying this, knowing that about 1% of Christians actually share their faith with others isn't going to get the job done. And I was thinking about what is the issue here? One is focused. Well, we just get so wrapped up in the temporary crowns of this life that we totally lose focus of our primary purpose, which is to help those who are far from God come closer to Christ, receive him as their Savior, and follow him for the rest of their life. That's our primary purpose in life. Every one of you are a little light. Wherever you work, play, go to school, you're a light for Christ. Like our family's a light to our friend Alex. I pray that he comes to Christ through the love he sees through our family and the kindness. But the other is intimidation. And so today, as I was in prayer back here with the intercessors, which are a group of people who pray more than everybody else, that's what an intercessor is, we were praying before the service, and I was... I was knowing that there is this intimidation factor, like a fence in front of every believer that you're just afraid to share the good news. See, Jesus did not leave the preaching of the gospel to professional preachers. If that was the case, very few people would get saved. He has made it so easy, so simple, that the dumbest Christian can share the gospel and somebody can get saved. God so loved, here we go, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that so whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That is the gospel message. That's what you tell somebody. In fact, I want to give you a couple of tools here real quick. And sharing your faith to help you because, because here's what, here's what I saw. I, I felt like it was just such a, such a lie that was right before every believer that if you step through and you share the gospel with somebody, something really bad is going to happen to you. Like maybe you'll lose a friend. Maybe you'll be tagged as a Jesus freak. Or you don't feel like you have the skill set to actually tell somebody that God loves them and Jesus died for your sins. Or maybe in your mind you have come to believe that it's, you know, the world just thinks that's a ridiculous story. And I don't want to be looked at it like I'm a simpleton. Okay? That's that little veer, thin veneer between you and leading somebody to Jesus. 
And so as I'm thinking about this barrier that's in front of most Christians, I went into prayer and all of a sudden Les, who's back there, said, I see like this very thin wig barbed wire fence that's between a believer who's like a 1,600-pound bull and telling people about Christ. And there's like this barbed wire fence. Like it's, it's so thin. It's just like you can just bust right through it. The power that's inside every believer, the gospel is the power of God, could bust right through that fence if they just only knew it. And then Mary started going, ho, 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 like Mary does. And, which is awesome. Hey, I'd rather be pastoring an on-fire church than people that are just snoring. And she said, I just had a vision right before you said that of those barbed wire fences like in World War II. World War I, I'm sorry. Did they use them in World War II? Okay, well, the barbed wire fence, they did. Thank you very much. I already have a wife that corrects me, Mary. I don't need a second one. And this whole army's back here, and you got this barbed wire fence. And then Gary said, all you have to do is, no, no. Somebody said, all you have to do is cut through, like, the preaching of the word today. And our prayers for you, family of God, are cutting through that barbed wire fence right now to set you free. To break that spirit of intimidation that is, that is limiting people in your life. To hear the glorious message of the love of Christ for them so they can have their sins forgiven and have a free entrance into heaven by what Jesus did on the cross. It's just as far away as the gospel coming out of your mouth into their ears and God opening their heart and a miracle could take place. And so they're saying all you have to do is just like the word of God today is just going to cut through that fence. And then Gary said, you're not going to believe this. My son-in-law is remodeling his new home right now, and I have one of his tools that he needed. So I brought it to church today to give to him. Guess what it is? Wire cutters. Now, if you're an intercessor, you're just all the lights and bells and whistles going off on the inside of you. If you are not an intercessor, you're thinking, you guys are strange. You're making something out of nothing. Oh, no, we're not. What's that? Both. Both are true. <laughs> but just because you're crazy doesn't mean God's not on the move. Amen? So the Lord is breaking through some of your barriers today. Let's pray over that real quick before we go into the rest of this message. If that's you, just admit it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I've been afraid to tell people about you. Please forgive me for this giving into the spirit of intimidation, being controlled by the spirit of fear, the fear of man. I repent from that this morning, Lord. Tell him right now between you and him. I repent from that, and I'm breaking through that thin fence that has been telling me, don't you dare share the gospel. This morning, Lord, I'm telling you, I am going to begin stepping out as you give me the opportunity and share forgiveness of sins through you to my friends, my family, my work associates. As you give me opportunity... When the opportunity is right there in front of me, I'm going to step out. And I'm going to watch you. Save souls through me. Are you doing it? Are you doing it? Let's take authority over that spirit of fear right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we take authority over the spirit of intimidation and fear that's in the hearts of God's people. And we say no to you this day in this church. From now on, the people of this church are going to be gateways of the gospel. 
The gospel is going to go out through us and souls are going to come to Christ through us. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. I'm in. Okay, so I'm going to give you a, a few, a couple of tools that are really helpful in sharing your faith with, with, with uh, those who have not yet come to Jesus. Number one is uh, what I call BCC and AC. It's real simple. It's your testimony. BC is before Christ. What was your life like? Go ahead and go to the next line. What was your life like before you came to Christ? Can you go to the next line, please. Well, I'll just say it verbally until it comes up. What was your life like? No. Okay, well, what was your life like before you came to Christ? One word. Chris? Boring. That's awesome. Because some Christians think the opposite is true. That's awesome. Um, okay, you came to Christ. What, what's one word to describe your life now? Exciting. Okay. Mark, one word before Christ. Selfish. You haven't moved much, have you? But you're, you're heading in the right direction. One guy said to me once, it doesn't matter where you are, but which direction you're headed. Right. I'm kidding. Mark's one of the most selfless guys I've ever known in my entire life. Selfish to selfless. Somebody else. One word. Stephanie. Empty. And after you gave your life to Christ? Fulfilled. Full. One more. Before Christ. Raise your hand over here. Negative and positive see it's not hard and what you tell in between that is how you came to christ that's your testimony that's the ship that the gospel gets carried on between you and the person that you're sharing it with it's so simple you don't have to have a a a theological degree to tell your testimony to somebody this is what i was like this is what happened when i came to christ this is what i'm like now same thing can happen to you it just takes boldness to share that message. It's so powerful, though, because God will open up people's hearts, and they'll be so receptive, it'll shock you. I remember one time, this is kind of an extreme example, I remember one time, I'm on an airplane, and I sit down next to a guy that I went to high school with. Crazy again, but Jesus is all about the salvation of the world. That means people. I sit down next to him, and I'm like, oh my gosh, how did we end up on a seat next to each other so we get to talking he's going through a divorce his life's a wreck he knows what i'm doing and so then uh i just i just stepped out boldly i said can i pray for you he said sure i said okay here's what i'm gonna do um i led him to christ just by kind of like what i shared with you here and i laid my hand on him and i looked out the window i said i'm gonna look out the window you just keep your eyes open don't worry about it it doesn't have to be weird i'm gonna lay my hand on your shoulder or your arm here and i'm just gonna look that way and i'm just gonna pray for a little bit i turned and I start praying, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God comes upon me, and I am weeping. I am looking out the window, tears pouring down my face. I'm like, my God, what is this? It's Jesus. I can't produce that. It wasn't my personality. It wasn't my power. I'm just a conduit. I'm just a gateway. I broke through that, that barrier just by saying, can I pray for you? And I'm weeping. I'm crying, I'm crying out the window. I waited until it was done. Oh, my gosh. I turn around to look at him. And he goes, you done? And I said, yeah. And he lifts up his arms. His hand, arms are on the tray. The tray. He lifts up his arms. There was a pool of water. He said, does this happen to everybody you pray for? I mean, the Spirit of God just lit him up. 
it's just so cool being used by the Lord. All you got to do, it doesn't happen like that all the time. In fact, it's rare. But I'm just saying Jesus is after everybody. He's so passionate for every soul. The second thing you can do is this one. It's called do versus done. Um, this is when you want to share your faith with somebody who only got seconds to do it. So my wife has gone through cancer. She was uh, uh, in operation. And the surgeon came out. And she just came out. I'm in the waiting room to tell me that my wife is okay, and the operation went well. And she's in her, you know, garb, and the nurses are waiting for her back in the operating room. And she's got other patients she's got to take care of. So she just came out to me very briefly. She sat down, and we just kind of started talking. And I could just sense that she just seems to be really open right now. And uh, I said, God is really using you. That's all I said. Just get get that out. God is really using you. I don't know what her response would be. And she said, "I hope so, because I I've done you know I've done some bad things." And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, "Oh, she's got guilt. Good, because that's the bad news." So now I, I can give her some good news. I said, "Hell, ho, ho, hey, wait a minute. We're all we've all failed." I said, "Can I tell you what?" Um, actually, I'll tell you what I, I did not, I did not, I did not give her the do versus done because I was, I was a little intimidated. I'm thinking she's got to get back to work. I'm going to witness to a, a, a surgeon right here in the hospital. And, you know, I don't want to get into this religious discussion. She didn't sign up for this. And though I could tell that she was just so ripe and ready. So she goes back in and I'm sitting out there in the waiting room thinking, you moron, you coward. Seriously, this is, this, that was a moment. You may never get it back again. So I just went back into the nurse's station. I said, excuse me, do you know where uh, Dr. So-and-so went? Oh, yeah, she's back in her office. Uh, Could you get her? Uh, Okay. And now I'm just feeling stupid. I'm feeling like, like, oh, my God, you're disrupting the whole thing to preach at her. And I'm thinking, "I, I I can't not do this. I've got to do this. Jesus is after her. So she came out. She goes, yeah, what's the problem? I said, no, I just wanted to continue our conversation just for 30 seconds. So this is where the do versus done comes in. I got like 30 seconds. Nurse is standing around over here. She's got to get back to work. I said, I just want to let you know that Christianity is not what you do for God. It's what God has already done for you. And I saw it in her eyes. She felt grace now the next time i see her i'm gonna hopefully pray with her to receive jesus because sometimes it's not you can't just sow water and reap all in 30 seconds sometimes you're watering sometimes you're sowing sometimes you're watering sometimes you're reaping but god is the one who saves people's lives not us can i hear an amen okay verse two Right now, June 6th, um, um, Stephanie was telling me about this. June 6th to July 5th marks the Muslim holy month of Ramadan. We're in, we're in the middle of it right now. Strategic time to pray for Muslim people. Muslims fast sun up to sundown during this month. Pray numerous times a day. While some do this for religious exercise, there are many Muslim God-fearers who were born in Islam, have no Christian witness in their lives, but have simply never heard the good news, like Lydia who we talked about in Acts 16, who got saved because she heard the gospel. The greatest turning of Muslims has been reserved for the 21st century. There's been over 72 movements 
uh, towards the salvation of Muslims. Thousands and thousands, millions of Muslims are coming to Christ. Here's a great link for you to pray between now and the end of Ramadan every day. Pray 30 days. You're halfway in, just jump in. So you can go to this website, and uh, they, they give you uh, very clear ways to pray. We've adopted an, a Muslim group called the R.C. Aromo, people in Ethiopia. You can pray for them. This is, this is just serious business. I mean, God doesn't invite people to repent. He commands them. In the previous chapter, Acts 17, it says God commands everyone everywhere to repent. Why? Because he knows what's happening. He knows what's coming. He knows the end is going to come one day. And every person has to give their life to Christ. This is what Jesus said in John 3, 3. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot be in God's kingdom. And Paul says this, the one who, never, who did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. Once he came to know who Jesus was, he said this in Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else. God has no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. What was Paul's motivation? Why was he spending his life, literally spent his life, until he was martyred on telling as many people as he could about Christ. It's because he had a deep love for the Jewish people. He came out of Judaism, or should I say his Judaism was fulfilled or completed through the Messiah. And so he realized, I was blind, now I see. Now I've got to go to my blind brothers and sisters and tell them about Jesus. I can't hoard my salvation. I can't keep it to myself. His motivation was love. There's no other motivation for sharing the gospel than love. We have to love others more than ourselves. That's why it takes the love of God to flow through our hearts toward those around us. And that love is what constrains us, compels us, makes us. Tell people about Christ. I remember when, before I was saved, if I went on a, quote, missionary date, if I went out with a non-Christian girl, I couldn't get halfway through the date without feeling so selfish. Because all I wanted was to be with a girl and have a date and have a relationship. I would get about halfway into the date and I would think, you don't know if she's going to heaven or hell. And I would just all of a sudden realize how selfish I'm being. And of course... The date was over after I shared Jesus. I know, that's how I felt. Ah! Can't even go on a date. Just have a good time. Go to the movies. Because I would just feel so selfish. I couldn't just, oh, okay, nice date. I might call you again. Go home. And I had the gospel message. I know what it is. I didn't know where she would be at it. Many, many times they'd come to Christ and they'd go to church and, you know, and that got weird. But anyway, <laughs> the message of the gospel, the only motivation is love. God loved the world, wasn't mad at the world, loves the world, sent his own son. And now he has sent you and me. I have uh, 16 pages that we're not going to go through. Really, really good stuff. But I want to show you something about um, LeBron James, Cleveland Cavaliers, the Apostle Paul. LeBron tried to win the NBA championship last year. 
but he couldn't do it. Because Kyrie Irving, the point guard, got injured, Kevin Love, the center, got injured, um, and a couple other guys were out. So LeBron, greatest player on the planet, ends up at the NBA Finals, and he tried to do it all himself, and it was impossible. This year, he comes back, and he has his whole team. And the winning shot wasn't LeBron. In fact, LeBron's assists, meaning he's passing the ball to others, was the highest in NBA history. He had his team. There was no way when God said to Paul, go, preach the gospel to the whole world. There's no way Paul could have accomplished what he did alone. I want you to see just in this chapter, and we're going to come to a close here real quick. In chapter, the same chapter, chapter 18, it says in verse 2, <laughs> we made it to verse 2. And he found a certain Jew named, oh, a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And so he came to them. They had the same occupation, so they, they uh, had a partnership. So here you have Aquila and Priscilla, who immediately become Paul's partners. And then look at this in verse 5. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So now, all of a sudden, we not just have uh, LeBron James or the Apostle Paul, one temporary, one eternal purpose, but now we have Aquila, we have Priscilla, we have Silas, we have Timothy. And then in verse 7, and he departed from there and entered the house of a certain uh, man named Justice who worshipped God... And then in verse 8, then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord of all his household. So now you've got justice. Now you have the ruler of the synagogue. Many of the Jews rejected Paul, but the, but the ruler of the synagogue got saved. Man, talk about drama. Woo! So now you've got one, two, three, four, five, six. And now verse 9, now the Lord spoke to Paul. There's seven. Jesus is allowed to be on the team. And then you come down to verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, another Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord through, though he only knew the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Aquila and Priscilla, Paul's teammates, heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I'm going to keep reading and make a couple of comments. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, which is over there in Corinth, where Paul just came from, just birthed the church, Apollos wants to go over there. The brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Okay i got five minutes to say three key things I want to say out of here. Number one, first of all, you see the teamwork. Um, Paul clearly couldn't do it by himself. Here's the first thing I want to say. Though we're to go to the whole world, preach the gospel to everybody, Paul, in this chapter and in other chapters, but in this chapter in particular, ran into some Jews who refuted him, wanted nothing to do with him, and Paul basically said, all right, well, your blood be on your own hands, and he's out. 
sometimes you have to recognize when you have no influence in a person's life. And you got to quit. The Lord's not going to quit on them because the Lord can get anybody anywhere at any time. But you're not the Lord. Did you know that? Raise your hands up like this. Okay. Now, are there any light shafts coming through the holes in your hands? Just anybody? No. Okay. That's a big lesson right there. You are not the Savior of the world. I don't know if that's brand new news for you today. If it is, it's a good thing you came to church today to get that burden off your shoulders. Okay? Sometimes you come, I could give you numerous examples, I don't have the time, where I've tried to share the gospel with somebody and I come to a point where I realize they just aren't interested. In fact, their questions are to antagonize not to come to a saving knowledge. So I just stop sharing. And sometimes they even try to bait me and I won't even enter the conversation. My wife will say, don't take the bait. Don't take the bait because I know they're not trying to learn about Jesus. They're trying to prove me wrong or them right. I just don't have time for that. I remember I was in India and I saw, I ran into Mr. Manipur. He was about this tall, but he had more muscles than Eric Tholander. Sorry, Eric, you're not here so I can say that. And, this, and I thought, oh man, if I could get Mr. Manipur saved, all of India would come to Christ because he's got this huge platform. And my interpreter who was with me said, he's not interested. I've tried to witness to him and I'm thinking, yeah, but I'm the great white hope. I've come to America with the gospel. I'm a preacher. You ain't seen nothing yet, man. You try to witness, but wait till you hear the way I can share the gospel. And so I'm with this guy for about a half hour in this field out in the middle of farmland. And this interpreter is getting irritated because he has his whole family and all of his friends, his whole village has come together in his house waiting for me to come. And I wasted a half hour with Mr. Manipur, who had no interest in the gospel. And finally, as I, when I walked into Mr., my interpreter's house... Got, we got like 60 people in this home. And I shared the gospel and they just all just received it so easily. But then I couldn't do the full thing because the van's coming and we got to get out to the dirt road or I'm going to be living in India for the rest of my life. Because when the van passes by and you don't get in it, then they just leave you. So I had to get in that van and go. And I realized I wasted so much time trying to get somebody saved who has no interest they just want to argue when there's these other people over here who are so ready can i hear an amen, amen. you got to be very careful the second thing i want to say I'm trying to pick and choose what i say here because um i'm out of time there's one hang on for a second there's one thing i, I definitely want to say two things here they are you notice that in this chapter, it says that Paul ran into justice who worshiped God. And you'll see that throughout this chapter and other chapters, you find people who worshiped God, it says. But they still had to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ to actually be able to have a relationship with God. This guy, it says he worshiped God. Yet Paul told him about Jesus, and it says he believed in his whole household. Muslims believe in God. Hindus believe in many gods. Catholics believe in God with some added things, some extras. I, I was raised in that. It doesn't mean that they're going to be with God for eternity just because they worship God. They have to come to Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. There is no other name under heaven by which men and women can be saved but through Jesus. And you are the carrier of that message. Who has God placed in your life? 
and there's a bridge built. Who in your life do you have a bridge built, a relational bridge, some kind of access into the person's life where you can begin praying, God help me know how, when, and where to be able to have an opportunity to share with this person that's in my circle of influence the simple message, the good news of Jesus. Jesus will set it up because he cares about every single person on the planet. Every person you come into contact with is someone Jesus loves. Uh, I think I have to leave it there. A couple of things in here that are so important. I just want to leave it here because you've got to cut through, the, snip through that barbed wire fence that's in front of you. What is it? What is it in your mind that's making you think you can't share the gospel with some certain people in your life? What is that? Fear, reputation, rejection, Interfering in their life, that's a good one, Hal. I don't want to impose myself or my religion on you. You're going, to re, you're going to realize that was a bad excuse on the day of judgment. We're not imposing on anybody. We are bringing water to the thirsty, food to the hungry. Eternal life to the lost. I will say this. It is really important to first understand and then be understood. In other words, getting on Facebook and sparring is worthless. In fact, it's worse than worthless. It is counterproductive and it's unfruitful. Listening to where somebody is coming from, respecting their belief system, earns you the opportunity to share your testimony. Well, can I tell you what happened to me? It's respectful. It's, a, it's love. It's not proving you're right. It's saving a life. You've got you to be patient and humble. Realizing the art, winning an argument is not the goal, it's saving a soul. Let's come to the Holy Spirit real quick. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit for yourself. don't know that that does mean that we're done (laughs) so let's come back to the holy spirit real quick ask the holy spirit holy spirit what is it in me in my mind in my mindset what is it that is hindering me from stepping through that thin fake barbed wire fence from telling people about you i'll just be quiet for a minute and let the holy spirit communicate with you in thought or in words. Just listen.
Okay, now whatever that is that came into your mind, just lay it down. And tell it, say, you you are not going to be my Lord anymore. Now ask Jesus to speak to you now about how he wants to use you to tell people about him. Just get quiet and let him communicate with you for a moment. Now, Lord, I'm going to ask that you bring two or three 